What's up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. I am your host, Hayden Vozar. I've got here with me Matt, one of your co-hosts. And I hope you guys are doing great. I hope you guys had a lot of fun watching college football this past weekend because there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened. Same thing sort of with NFL, and we'll get into that. It's not really with wins and losses. It's more with players around the league and kind of some things that we've noticed so far. But yeah, today we've got some NBA talk and NHL talk because you guys know it's the it's the week, it's the on week for for all the sports. And we don't have a holiday segment this week. So we will be getting into NBA and NHL after our football talk as usual. So yeah, let's let's dive right into NFL, as always, as our first topic. And so our first topic of the day in the NFL is about the rookie QBs in the NFL. So we've got Mac Jones, who is the clear front runner of rookie QBs this year so far. And it's kind of interesting because he was taken after three other QBs that were, were taken in the first three picks. So we had Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance all, all taken in front of him. And Trey Lance doesn't even really play in San Francisco. Zach Wilson was hurt for a little bit. And when he does play, he sucks. And Trevor Lawrence, it's probably more of a factor of his t- of the team around him. But again, he hasn't really performed like the number one pick should. But we've and we've seen this in the past with with other quarterbacks in the past. We've seen that. Sometimes they just don't work out and number one picks sometimes don't work out. Sometimes they get injured, whatever, but it's just kind of interesting to see that Mac Jones is put into a Bill Belichick um, system and he's doing really well. And he's actually leading the Patriots rather than just kind of being on the field, like the other three quarterbacks. So Mac Jones, he's, he's doing really well this season. And I think, I think what, his strength is, is he's, he takes the easy throws. And we've talked about this before on the podcast where, like we say, a lot of the young quarterbacks try to make big plays. Zach Wilson is a perfect example of that. He makes huge plays and he doesn't really settle for, for smaller plays. And when he tries to make big plays, a lot of times he'll throw a pick or make a mistake or whatever. But Mac Jones, on the other hand, he's, he's not an athletic guy, so he doesn't really get out of the pocket that much. And so he can't really make those flashy plays that the other guys do. But since he settles for those, for those small dump off passes and those drag routes that the Patriots love to do with their little receivers from Northern Illinois state university, university, (laughs) university, they, yeah, he, he, he'll dump it off and he's not scared to make those short plays. And so he's, you know, he's, He's kind of Tom Brady esque. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any comparisons right now, as we shouldn't be. But I think he's he's showing he's showing signs of of kind of Tom Brady esque things. So I think it all really comes down to coaching, and you mentioned it a little bit. Um, 
being in a Bill Belichick system is obviously advantageous for any quarterback who's just being drafted into the NFL, uh, you know, especially one who had a lot of talent around him and performed really well at Alabama, who, you know, if you want to talk about a good coaching system, you can't really get much better than Alabama. Um, and so I think that it's really interesting how we kind of hold Nick Saban and Bill Belichick into this high level, you know, of, of almost God tier coaching levels and Mac Jones, you know, of, of no real you know, it's not really his fault. It's not really his fate um, has been the starter and, and won consistently in at both of those, you know, places. And so I think that, you know, he's probably may not, ha- he may not be the most talented rookie quarterback in this year's class, but he's definitely had the benefit of great coaching and great team kind of, you know, the, the, the team players that he has around him um, are, are definitely helping. And so I think kind of, as Hayden mentioned, we see Mac Jones have this, I think he, in, in the past, it was like the past two weeks, he'd, he, he completed over 80% of his pass or something. And that he's like the only person in the NFL to do that uh, this year, not even amongst rookies. It's just like anyone, you know, in the entire NFL. And so we see him, you know, checking down a lot, just making the smart decisions. And, and like Hayden said, that's a lot of what we saw in Tom Brady. And so, Again, we're not directly comparing it, but at the same time, you know, you, you, I think that really comes down to, I don't know whether it's that's a Bill Belichick thing or a Josh McDaniels thing, or if they're just kind of combined on that and that's how they kind of run their system and, and have their quarterback play. Um, but I think that's really what the difference comes down to, because here we're going to think about the other rookie quarterbacks, you know, who are, who are, who are playing right now and who haven't really shown a, a ton of talent. Um, and, and, you know, and kind of, as Hayden mentioned, you have, you know, you have Trevor Lawrence, you have Zach Wilson, obviously Trey Lance hasn't even really played that much. And you also have Justin Fields um, who got picked number 11 at, at uh, for Chicago. And I would argue that, you know, with, with the Jaguars, the jets and the bears are, you know, three of the, probably three of the bottom five to 10 teams in the NFL. And just from a a management perspective, from a system perspective, from a talent pool perspective. Right. Um, And so when you don't have the talent around you to succeed, you're, you're bound to fail. And so it really doesn't matter how much talent that one person has. And that's kind of like football in general, right. Is so much more about the team and how your team compares and, and, and can work together in order to achieve a victory. Whereas, you know, if we're talking about basketball, it's, 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 if you have good individual players, since there's only five players on the field, on the court at the same time, um, you know, one player who's really good can take over a team and really do well for them. Uh, it's not the same in football at all. Uh, and so when you have a bad offensive line or you have receivers who are just kind of, you know, claimed off waivers and there's nobody that really sticks out, uh, there's, there's not really a lot of opportunity for you to succeed. And so I think it, it really does come down to the coaching because, as Hayden mentioned, right, we see Zach Wilson trying to go out there and make all these plays. And and, and I think, you know, Justin Fields has, has been, I think, limited to the play calling as well, where he could be utilizing his run game a lot more. But I think the, the play calling just doesn't allow him to do so. They're calling a lot of short passes. They're calling a lot of plays that don't really fit his style of play or how he would best be suited to play quarterback in the NFL. And like, as a result of that, he's not doing very well. Um, and so I think it's, it's definitely about the the coach kind of has to coach to what the quarterback's talents are, but at the same time, they need to learn how to play in the NFL. And so we see it time and time again, where rookies come into the NFL and they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go to a bad, the, the Browns, right. Or like, are, are, you know, notorious for this for however many 20 years um, when they draft a first round quarterback and you never hear about them again, because they, 
it's not that they were bad. It's not that they weren't talented. They just didn't have the structure and the coaching around them to to really play well to their strengths in order to, you know, actually kind of show what they can do as quarterbacks. And so I also think to a certain extent, you know, we saw kind of we always kind of hear about this when a rookie quarterback is playing is, you know, the game is faster than college. It's way different than college. You have to know about coverages. You have to know how to read techniques. And so there's a lot more mental, uh, you know, the, uh, the mental part of the game is, is, is much is much more prevalent in the NFL than it is in college. College, and we've talked about that before, in the, even the, on the podcast, where in, in a lot of these college systems, it's it's almost you're not even really thinking for yourself. You're just being told exactly where to look, exactly where to throw, and it always works out. Uh, and so that's not at all the case in the NFL. And so a lot of these quarterbacks need to be taught, like, hey, you're not just going to be able to chuck it down the field, and and, and you know your receiver is going to be running wide open. Um, there's a lot that goes into just playing the check down, making the smart throws. And I think that, you know, Tom Brady's been doing that forever, right? And, and he's clearly one of the best, um, well, he, he's one of the best quarterbacks this season and obviously the best kind of, you know, ever as well. And so that's what he's kind of, you know, predicated his game off of. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of as we move and get closer to the end of the season, how this really plays out with these, with these rookie quarterbacks who had a lot of draft, you know, the teams that picked them had a lot of draft capital invested in them, um, but don't necessarily have the pieces around them in order to really show through how their talent can can really um you know impact their teams and and bring success yeah so i thought it was interesting how matt mentioned the and this was kind of earlier in in his segment or his part of the talk but he mentioned how the patriots have or not the patriots but the other the other quarterbacks don't really have the other rookie quarterbacks other than mac jones don't really have talent on their teams to kind of help them get kick-started in, in, in the NFL, which is true. But I think we should also look at the fact that Mac Jones doesn't really have talent either. Like he, or he doesn't have the talent around him either. Like he, he has Jacoby Myers who hasn't really done much. Like Jacoby Myers is, I feel like if you went, if you went around and asked people, okay, who's the wide receiver one on the Patriots, most people would probably say Jacoby Myers just because He's kind of like the more well-known guy. You know, they got Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar over the offseason. And Kendrick Bourne's actually been showing up big in the past few games, which I love because as a Patriots fan, that's that means that we did a good job buying in the offseason. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think like Kendrick Bourne and, and Nelson Aguilar, the fact that we got both of them along with Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry and so many other guys over free agency, like that shows that they're not huge superstars and – they weren't when they were on other teams, you know, like Nelson Aguilar with the, with the Raiders. What was the, can you remember any play that Nelson Aguilar made with the Raiders? No. And can you remember any play that Kendrick Bourne made with the, I think it was on the 49ers. No, exactly. So it's like, these guys aren't superstars. And I feel like Mac, Mac Jones is making them look really good. Like he, I, I mean, Kendrick Bourne is, is making some great catches, but I think Mac Jones is really putting these guys in position to do well. And it's good to see because, that's what a quarterback's supposed to do. Like that's what a true quarterback does is put his guys in a position to win rather than relying on his guys to put him in a position to win. You know what I'm saying? That's what I was getting at. Definitely. And I, I kind of just forgot to mention it. I neglected to mention it um, was essentially right. The, the, you know, we're talking about the receivers that, you know, maybe Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields don't have. I was going to mention that too. I was going to say, yeah, Mac Jones doesn't really have the great talent around him. And that's why I was making the point again. I didn't even, actually make the point is why coaching is so important in this is in this circumstance is because when you don't have that much great talent around you especially on the offensive side of the ball 
the success is going to be built in the way that you're coached and how to prepare for an NFL game and how to read coverages and, and, and understand techniques and, and, you know, and just kind of take what the defense is going to give you in certain circumstances, be able to let the ball fly in others. Um, and I think, right. Mac Jones is doing a good job of that, but I think it's really only because of how solid that, uh, you know, of a coach that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are, they've, they've, been with Brady for however long they're prepared they know all this stuff and so they're really just passing it all on to Mac Jones who right doesn't have the necessarily talent doesn't have necessarily a lot of talent around him but at the same time it doesn't really matter when you have such great coaching whereas you know the Jets and the, you know the Jets have a new coach uh, Robert Sala the the Jaguars have a new coach in in Urban Meyer and so there's there hasn't been any time for these guys to develop I mean Urban Meyer hasn't been coached he coached college last he's only he's never coached in the NFL before um, Robert Sala's never been an NFL head coach before and so when you've had Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels who've been there for you know 15 20 years like that's such a big advantage to a rookie quarterback who's coming in um, and and who you know may not have the best talent around him but at least will have a really good support system behind him to at least teach him the game, if anything. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And speaking of success, our next topic here is relates to something that yields a lot of success to some teams, some not mediocre teams, but teams that wouldn't be as good without their running back. And so our topic here is we've seen guys go down this season, like Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara, right? We've seen, um, we've seen Aaron Jones go out recently. And, you know, a lot of these running backs are, are stars of the league, stars of their team, especially Derek Henry. I mean, Derek Henry's pretty much their whole team. And Christian, Christian McCaffrey, he gets hurt like all the time. I, I always stand by not, drafting him in fantasy even if i have number number one overall pick i don't want to draft him in fantasy because he gets hurt all the time and he plays like a third at most of the season and so i mean you know for the games that you do have him he goes off and he he does you really well he gets you you know 25 30 points but again that's for maybe like five weeks of the of, of the season and so kind of getting back on track here you know a lot of the top top running backs are injured right now or have been injured for most of the season. And so our question is kind of like are high profile running backs really valuable to, that are really valuable to a team, or is it more worth it to kind of like utilize multiple backs or, you know, a lesser known guy in the backfield in order to save a draft in order to save on draft capital and, um, and save salary cap hits and stuff like that. And so, my perspective on this is I totally agree with that. I think that having a star running back that you lean on a lot. I mean, a guy like Derrick Henry, he's, he's kind of like a different breed. He doesn't really, he doesn't get hurt that often. You know, he got hurt, unfortunately this season. I think Derrick Henry is kind of the exception to this, but like a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who you, you know, you throw the ball to and you, you put him in open space. And I, I think people kind of, neglect the fact that when you, when you throw the ball to a running back, usually it's on like a screen or something, they usually have their back to the defense. And so basically you're throwing to them and they're blind to whoever's coming to hit them. And so if somebody makes misses a block, it's like a 50, 50 chance that they get injured really bad on that play, you know? So a, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these injuries, I feel like aren't really coming on running plays necessarily, which is what 
a running back does most of the time. But yeah, so like a guy like Derek Henry who doesn't really catch the ball much, I feel like he doesn't really have many chances to get hurt. But I think I think it's I think it really is good to invest in a in a running back. Like I think Tony Pollard is the best example of this. And I'm super high on Tony Pollard. And I was actually talking about this with AZ the other day, my buddy who used to be, who used to do the podcast with us. And he's really high on Tony Pollard too. You know, like Zeke Elliott is a great running back. I, I think that, I mean, he's been ever, he's been great ever since he was at Ohio state, but he gets hurt too. And every time he gets hurt, Tony Pollard comes in and fulfills his duties. Like he, he, they almost never skip a beat when Tony Pollard's in, when Tony Pollard's in the game and, and Zeke is healthy, Tony Pollard does even better sometimes. Like he looks better creating space for himself, running it to the outside. You know, Zeke is more of like an up the middle guy and, you know, makes good jump cuts up the middle or whatever to, to, to make space for himself. But I feel like, you know, they, they'll run end arounds with Tony Pollard. Now they'll, they'll do everything with Tony Pollard. He's, he's their kick returner too. Like he, I mean, he's the definition of just like an athlete. He, he's kind of like a Cordero Patterson, you know, but for the Cowboys. And so I think that, yeah, these guys like, Cordell Patterson's another great example. He's, you know, he's on the older side, but like, he's another great example of, of these running backs that are super versatile and you, you know, you may not put them in the game as much and you should have like another guy that's kind of a, a fill in for him, you know, like kind of like an Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon backfield. AJ Dillon's gotten a lot more of the carries this year, a lot more of the volume that compared to what he was getting last year, you know, Aaron Jones still carries it mostly and he's still the, the feature back in that, in that backfield, but like they're splitting it up more. And, 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 you know, Aaron Jones just got hurt. So this example kind of loses a little bit of its merit, but like, I feel like AJ Dillon stepping in for a little, little bit of that, of that workload takes some, some pressure off of Aaron Jones's shoulders. And it's a great example of what a modern day backfield should look like. We shouldn't be relying on these, on these running because, you know, defenses are just getting stronger and faster and hitting even harder than ever. But just, you know, every, basically every second, like it's, you know, it happens over time. And so like these, these running backs are just getting pummeled every play. And so if you're, if you're relying on a guy to take 25 carries a game, it's probably not going to work, work out too well. So I see both sides of this argument. I'm going to argue against Hayden in the sense that for these teams, as we mentioned, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, for these teams who rely so much on their bell cow back, who does everything for them, runs the ball, catches the ball, you know, provides so much positivity and, and, and statistical, you know, value for, for their offense uh, and, and, that, and thus their team, it really, once they go down, the team really isn't much of what it was before. I mean, we've seen this exemplified in those three players alone. Um, I think it's a little bit tough to kind of judge Alvin Kamara's situation and the, the whole kind of circumstance going on, going on down there in New Orleans, obviously after losing Jameis Winston, then they lost Alvin Kamara. So they're kind of a mess right now. And it's, you know, hopefully everybody's kind of able to get back healthy, but right. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to say like, okay, well, let's just replace Alvin Kamara with Mark Ingram. Sure, Mark Ingram is pretty good, but I think that we see that the, the teams that are losing their star running backs don't perform well after they lose them. Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he, you know, he's he was out the first 
well, he was he was playing the first couple of weeks. They were doing okay, right? Sam Donald looked good, right? And I think we could attribute we could attribute a lot of that to to Christian McCaffrey being there for him, kind of as a rock and and just a place that he can hand the ball off, pass the ball to. Uh, and then basically, right when he got hurt, the, the Panthers started to fall off, and they kind of are gonna you know they're spiraling downwards now, and I think probably gonna only continue there. Um, and and then obviously I kind of already talked about the Saints, but the Titans are also good a good. Uh, you know, a, a good piece here to look at is like, you know, they had a good win, you know, Derrick Henry's first game out, but the last two weeks they've, the Titans have gotten crushed by the Texans and they've gotten crushed by the Patriots. And so it's like, once you lose a piece like that, a guy who was, who was such a stable foundation for your team, it's really hard to kind of rally around someone else when, when you're so used to someone, you know, the, the main running back getting a lot of the workload. Um, and so that's kind of my argument for the sense that when you do have a star running back like that, it, it actually does mean a lot to lose him. And, and it's probably more worth it to, you know, rely on a star running back like that, because I think they can provide so much more value than if you're just going running back by committee, trying to find random guys to, you know, step up when you maybe don't have the, the talent elsewhere. Here's what I'm going to go to the other side of the argument though, and, and kind of agree with what Hayden was saying, but kind of provide some more insight for it. Let's look at the top teams in the NFL, right? The, the Hayden mentioned the Packers with, with Aaron Jones, but I think at this point, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are, are basically splitting carries. So I think that's not even really a, he's not even really a, you know, considered a bell cow back and, and doing all the work there, um, you know, with the Packers, but, but we have, you know, the bucks, they're running back by committee, the Cardinals, obviously, I mean, you know, they kind of, they kind of came out of nowhere, but they're running back cut by committee. Um, you know, the, the, on the AFC side, we had the Bills, who even knows who their running backs are, essentially, right? I mean, Josh Allen is their entire team. Uh, and, and the Chiefs and the Patriots, like, they both are kind of, you know, they don't have a, a single running back who's doing a lot. So I think it's interesting to see that the teams who do have these stable running backs who are the center of their organization really do impact their team in a positive way such that when they're down, when they're injured, when they're not with the team, we can see a negatively, you know, we can see it negatively impact the team's performance and their success. However, the best teams in the NFL, the teams that are constantly, you know, competing in the playoffs who are making the playoffs and, and, and competing for championships are kind of doing this, this, this running back by committee system where they're not relying on one guy and, and it's kind of plug and play. Um, and, and I do think that that in, in the long run saves up a lot of draft capital, saves up a lot of salary cap room uh, and, 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 you know, and kind of everything to go along with that. So I see both sides of the argument, but it's, it's, it's really tough to argue with all of the success that the teams who kind of do this running back by committee and, and, and save on the draft capital and, and the salary cap, um, you know, the success they've had, you can't really deny it. Yeah. So I think, I think Matt, what you were kind of saying was that like, there's, there's almost like a cause and effect relationship here where like the, if, if a running back has so much impact on their team and such a, such a big influence on how their team does, and then when they get hurt, their team, you know, tanks, it's like, you can also use that to argue that, okay, well, you should have a versatile backfield, like the best teams in the NFL do, you know, like you should have more, you know, lesser known guys who can kind of, who can split carries just like in, um, just like in New York, you know, Michael, uh, New York jet. I mean, I'm talking about the jets here, but Michael Carter, like he stepped into a bigger role recently and he just got hurt too, which Again, like it's another guy who's stepping into a big role and gets hurt right away. But yeah, Michael Carter has stepped into a bigger role, but you still got 
Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman in the backfield there with him. And so it's just like, and the, you know, the Jets backfield, obviously, well, the Jets altogether just aren't a good team, but you know, I, I feel like their backfield running backs wise is, is probably one of the highlights of their team by this point in the season. But, and it's just like, they have three guys that are pretty not maybe not equal, you know, Michael Carter, obviously he was the front runner to start in this, you know, during the season and he has become the front runner, but again, like they have three guys, three consistent guys that, you know, will go out there and, and perform for you. And so, yeah, like Matt was saying, like, I, I think that, you know, there is kind of this relationship between, okay, some teams, some teams that aren't may not be the best in the NFL, but some teams that are in the running, had these great running backs, but again, like you can't rely on one guy so much. It's, it's a team sport. And even though you may say, you may say like basketball, for example, there's only five guys on the court at a time and the same five guys play offense and defense. And so like, if you lose one of your star guys, you know, like if you lose Kevin Durant or, you know, golden state lost clay Thompson, like if clay, we don't even know what golden state would be doing right now. We'll get to NBA later, but like we wouldn't, I can't even imagine what Golden State would be doing right now if, if Clay Thompson was playing for them. So it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's, that's like amplified in basketball, but, and I feel like people would think that it wouldn't have much of an effect in, and, you know, in a sport like football that where there's 11 players on offense and 11 different players on defense. But again, it's like, it's still, it's still a team sport. And there's still, there are still guys that have s- such a big effect on their team and, maybe we shouldn't, I mean, you're not, you're not going to stop a star from playing well, but like maybe we shouldn't be relying on these guys so much. I don't really know how, how else to explain it, but that might've been a little bit murky, but Matt, I mean, if you, if you want to take it away and, and kind of explain your side. No, no, that was pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to say on that. I think I, I agree with both sides of it and, and it's going to be interesting to see going forward if that kind of continues to be the trend of the successful teams that that really kind of utilize this system. Um, let's take this opportunity to move on to college football. So the college football playoff uh, ranking committee released the new top 10 for this week. Um, there really weren't many changes. The only big change, obviously, was Ohio State, who lost to Michigan. Uh, Ohio State went down to seven. Michigan went up to two. Um, Alabama went down to three. And then you have Cincinnati kind of kept their place at four there. The only other two kind of, you know, minor movements was uh, Oklahoma State jumped past Notre Dame. So Oklahoma State is now five. Notre Dame is six. Uh, and then I think Ole Miss jumped Baylor, which doesn't really have any impact on, on the actual college football playoff itself. Um, and so largely it, it's pretty much the same um, kind of as we said in terms of just it really is you know, it comes down to the conference championships and, and who wins that. And so kind of going forward here for next week, it's it, once the college or the conference championships are played on Saturday, uh, the they're releasing the official college football rankings the very next day on, on Sunday at noon. Um, and so we, by this time next week, we will know who the top four teams are and we will know who is, has the potential to win the next college football championship, which I think is really awesome. Um, but again, it's, it's really going to be all decided this Saturday when the teams play and, and a ton of stuff can still happen. Right. I mean, if I, I, you know, we can go through all the scenarios as obviously we've talked about, you know, if Bama beats Georgia, then Georgia and Bama will both be in. And, you know, if Michigan beats Iowa, then they're in Cincinnati wins, they're in, but it's, you know, if, if Michigan loses to Iowa, if Cincinnati loses to Houston, you know, if Oklahoma state beats Baylor, but you know, 
but and Georgia beats Alabama. Does Oklahoma State deserve to be in over Bama? There's there's a ton of different scenarios, and so I think that you know instead of kind of just going over all of them at this point, it's probably just best to let the games play out, decide it themselves, and then we'll leave it up to the College Football Playoff Committee to choose the final rankings. So, kind of sticking with this topic of the College Football Playoff, we wanted to really dive into how it has created. I think a major problem in college football it's it's done great in terms of kind of selling the sport it's made a lot of money for the for you know the ncaa it's also made a lot of money for espn um but but and and i do think that to some extent it's the right idea you want to have you know this kind of tournament style playoff system to where you can actually determine the true best champion instead of you know what it used to be used to be the bcs and the bcs was basically just a computer algorithm that nobody was able to figure out and it would just spit out numbers and then spit out teams. And those teams would play in the championship. And that's what, that was what it was. It was just one game and that's it. So now you actually have the opportunity to determine a true champion. But with that comes, I think a lot of inequity that's created in, in, in the nature of what happens with college football. And so with the conference championship week coming up, um, I, I think it's it's this is the kind of the perfect time for us to talk about the negative repercussions of the college football playoff. Um, essentially, the same teams every year get more exposure, which means better recruiting, which means less opportunity for the other teams, the smaller teams, you know, and in, in smaller conferences. Um, and I think this issue is perpetuated each year and it creates an inherent cycle of inequality. And we see this in the fact that as a result of this problem, only four of the 10 conference championships that are being played on Friday and Saturday of this weekend even matter. I mean, it, it, like, it, there is only four conference championships that even matter in terms of deciding the college football, deciding who wins the championship. Now you can say, yes, if Northern Illinois and Kent state are playing in the Mac championship, that necess- that shouldn't necessarily have any, you know, have, have any, uh, any, any sway in determining who's going to win the college football playoff. I get that. But like to a certain extent though, conference championships used to be what every college football team strived for. It was like the one thing that you can say at the end of your season, you won your conference, you were the best team because you play all the other all the other teams in your conference. And it's like, if you win the conference, that's such a big deal. And so now that we have this kind of, you know, this, 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 the, the playoff system, it's like, doesn't really matter who wins the conferences, just matters who the biggest names and the biggest teams are. And so a lot of these conferences are just getting passed by and and the teams that are playing for these conference championships will, yes, you know, they'll still win the conference and they'll have something to, to look back on their season for, but won't have an opportunity to do anything when it comes to actually competing for a championship. A couple examples, San San Diego state is playing Utah state in the mountain West championship. And you're going to say, who even are those teams? I don't care. I don't even want to hear about it. San Diego State is 11 and one. They've lost one game. You know how many games that, you know, that, that the teams at the top are going to end up losing? Probably one, right? Um, and so it's like they're, they're the same. They have the same record. Yes, they played lesser competition. But you don't want to know who San Diego State beat? They beat Utah, who is playing Oregon for the Pac-12 championship. And if Utah, had, you know, had won all their games, they'd be in the college football playoff, like, undoubtedly. So it's like, you know, you got to, I think, 
it, it really ends up creating this problem. And like I said, it's like a cyclical nature, a negative repercussion in a cyclical nature that where, you know, if, if you're, if all you're going to be doing is talk about talking about Michigan and Ohio state and Georgia and Alabama, you know, those teams are only going to be getting better. And, and, and the, and the best recruits are only going to want to go to those schools because they get so much exposure because they're able to play for championships. So I do think that it's really kind of causing a problem. And I, and I'm excited to kind of, see where we get to and and i i mean in like three or four years at this point um when when the 12 team playoff is introduced that way it'll kind of give teams an opportunity to to actually compete for a national championship who otherwise would have absolutely no chance but i do think that right now as it stands the college football playoff is just really it's it's not it's not the best it's the best way let me say this it's the best way to determine who the true champion is in college football but it's it's really negatively affecting I think the sport as a whole in terms of being able to really, you know, have teams who otherwise wouldn't have a chance actually matter and, and have these schools really recruit these kids who, who otherwise wouldn't want to go to their schools. So again, you know, that, that that's just kind of me, you know, on, on my soapbox, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I definitely want to hear what Hayden has to say about this. Cause I think it, it, it can be, it can be really viewed as a negative thing, but, but, you know, there's also obviously some positive aspects to it. Yeah. So I, I don't really know if I'm going to go into any positive aspects of the playoff itself. I think that Matt really covered everything I was going to say that's negative about, about the playoff, because I, I, I do think, yes, the playoff in terms of, right. And, and, you know, in terms of excitement for, for a championship and, and seeing who can actually come out on top and seeing who can go through the toughest route to get to the top. That's, that's what the playoff is for. And that's, that, that's, it serves its purpose in, in that sense. But like, I think, I think another good something that we've seen this season that we haven't really seen in past seasons, and I may be wrong on this, but I, I feel there's just kind of a sense of like teams are kind of losing to teams that they shouldn't be losing to this year, and it's it's like we've seen we've seen a little bit of that, you know, like Oregon losing to Stanford, like that. Who nobody would have expected that, you know, maybe five years ago, yeah, but like. But Stanford now, like they suck. They're at the you know bottom of the Pac-12, like for the past couple of years. And so it's you know you would never expect somebody somebody like Oregon, who was at the top of the rankings, to lose to lose to Stanford. You know we saw it with Alabama and Texas A&M is a little bit different because Texas A&M, you know, they are usually pretty good. But again, like when they beat Alabama this season they had sucked before that. Like they, they were not good at all. And so I think that this season is actually a great example of like, I think we've had the most mix up or like the most movement. I feel like in, in the, you know, in each week that the, that the college football playoff rankings have come out, I think there's been more movement than in any other year, because, you know, we've, we've seen, there hasn't been two weeks in a row where like, where it's just been the same playoff, um, both weeks like we've seen movement in and out of the, of the top four every single week we've seen a top two team go down twice right I mean we saw I think Oregon was Oregon two or three when they lost against Utah I think they were you know? three they're number three okay well same thing I guess but like Ohio State was number two when they lost against Michigan now they're down to number seven I'm pretty sure and you know, yeah, Oregon was number three when they lost against Utah and then they they dropped down to like nine or ten or something and so again, like we've seen so much movement and, and so much drastic movement in the playoff. And, you know, it, that's for good reason, because these, these top teams are losing to teams that they shouldn't be losing to again. Like we, a lot of times in the past, we've seen 
teams go undefeated until their conference championship and then they lose one game and then they lose the conference championship and then you know the committee has a hard decision to say okay well you know they've lost one game but it was the conference championship they went undefeated in the regular season other than that and so like you can't really ding them for that so i feel like the 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 playoff i mean the the playoff committee this year almost has an easier decision than they have in past years because again like matt said like this week there's so many things that that could happen i was talking about with um about the notre dame situation with my with my roommate will earlier and basically because he's a pretty big notre dame fan um and so like basically notre dame should i mean again like the, the whole argument about how they aren't in, in in a conference can always be made but like in terms of record and where they are in the rankings right now they're number they're number six sitting behind oklahoma state at five but like if michigan if michigan loses if cincinnati loses um, and assuming Georgia wins their, assuming Georgia wins their conference championship against Alabama, Alabama's going to be kicked out. And so, like, if if we're assuming that happens, if if Michigan loses, or if Cincinnati loses, or if Oklahoma State loses, if any of those three teams lose in their in their conference championship, technically Notre Dame should be bumped up to four because two teams will fall and they should be at four because they're at number six right now. So again, that's kind of just an example. It's kind of a tangent, but it's like we're seeing so much movement in the, in the playoff this year. And I think that this kind of tie this back to the original question that Matt was talking about. Like, I think this is kind of moving in the right direction because, and maybe this is just kind of a, you know, uh, maybe it's just a result of last year, you know, COVID year being really weird and people not playing or teams not playing their full seasons or whatever. But like, I feel like, a whole new season, if, if, if you still got recruits coming in, a whole new season shouldn't mean much. But again, like we're seeing these teams, these really good teams lose to these not so good teams and losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to. And I think that that's, it is a step in the right direction. I don't know if, I don't know how to really sustain that. And there is no way that you can, there's no way that you can implement, if you're, you know, if you're the NCAA, there's no way to implement a way for that to keep happening in future seasons. But I really like the way that, this season is going and how much movement there is and how much change there is in, in, in the playoff. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the, the one kind of thing that, you know, the theme of what you said was right. Op, you know, upsets are going to happen and teams are going to lose to teams that they shouldn't. Um, and I think that should be, you know, included of in, in, in how well you think a team is doing or how good you think a team really is at the end of the day, which is why, a, you know, a college football playoff with, you know, eight or 12 teams would be better because it's right. If, if you're playing well on that day, you will win the game. If you're not playing well, you could lose to anyone. So, so I think that hopefully, right. You know, something will be kind of changed in the next few years here. Obviously I'm still going to we'll watch the games. I love the, you know, I, I love the playoff scenario as it is now. I think it just, you know, it, it, it generates some, some negative uh, you know, some, some negative repercussions that probably, you know, it would exist anyway. Right. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're going to make the argument, right. Okay. Well, the BCS only had two national championship teams. And so if you're going to make the argument that four, you know, are, are really going to only, you know, have this negative cycle, well then, you know, two teams would be pretty much the same thing. So again, we'll kind of figure this out, you know, as we go along here and kind of see how it gets impacted once the playoff is expanded the second college football topic that we have here is a good one, which got even better on Sunday. So a big offseason story was, was 
Texas and Oklahoma, um, who are currently members of the Big 12, they were going to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC. A lot of it was TV money. A lot of it was, you know, playing tougher competition. Texas and Oklahoma were the two biggest names in the Big in the Big Twelve. You know, they have the most money, they have the most power, um, and so you know, they, why not go join the most the, the the richest and the most powerful conference in in, in college football, right? <laughs> but at the end of the regular season, as as we're kind of seeing now, Texas has a losing record. They're five and seven, and then Oklahoma lost to both of the teams playing in the Big Twelve championship game, uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State, and so. Essentially, the question here that I'm going to pose to Hayden is, was it the right decision for these historic programs to join a tougher conference despite not even being able to compete in their own? Yeah, so again, like Matt said, this got this got heavily boosted this past weekend with Oklahoma losing to Oklahoma State. And like Matt said, we have Oklahoma being kind of in the headline of, of this whole story of these two big 12 teams wanting to move to the sec. And I think, I think it's bogus that they want to move to the sec first of all. And I know this isn't really, and again, I, I, I talked about this with Mitchell back in the episode that we did over the summer, but I, and you know, the, the conferences at first, like they're the, the initials stand for geographical locations. And again, like it geographics don't really matter anymore because travel is super easy whatever like that's I'm pretty sure that traveling or kind of like you know the the difficulty of travel used to be pretty high and so that's why these these conferences were made was to make you know in, in conference play easier travel is you know not much of a factor but like these you know Oklahoma and Texas we've seen Texas especially like this season they just fell off a cliff and they had you know they had Bijan Robinson who was I think at the beginning of the season, he was the Heisman favorite, like coming into the season, he was the Heisman favorite. And I'm not saying that a Heisman yields, you know, a winning record, but it should at least boost you in some way. But, and he's not going to win the Heisman. I mean, he's not even really in the running anymore, but yeah, like we see Texas absolutely sucked this year. And then Oklahoma as well. Like we we've seen them pretty much. I mean, in terms of like, in terms of SEC standards, if we're if we're talking Oklahoma being an SEC team right now, which is basically what they want, they dude they would not be able to come even compete in the SEC. I feel like if, if they're in the SEC this year, they would get blown. They wouldn't be in the conference championship. They would they they don't hold a candle to to Alabama right now. Alabama would blow them out of the water. We know Georgia would too. Georgia will blow anybody out of the water. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think I'm just gonna kind of go with the obvious answer here. I think that this is kind of the general consensus is that like Oklahoma and Texas, no, you don't deserve to be in the sec. And okay. Again, we have, you know, we have some questionable teams in, in the sec and in these big conferences, you know, the teams that are always at the bottom, I get it. A lot of people are saying, okay, well, why are they at the bottom? I mean, why are they still in the, in a power five conference? If they're always at the bottom, if they're consistently bad, if they consistently have a losing record, like, why are they still in the, why are they still in a power five conference? And I understand that, you know, like teams that are consistently in the bottom, they, there's an argument for why, you know, why are they still staying in a conference? But I feel like top teams in a comp, like there's, there's the, in, in college football, at least historically, there's been the sec and then probably like the big, the big 10 and then the other three power five conferences, like historically. And I'm talking like, way way back 
And recently the SEC has been, the, you know, the top dog. And so, like, I feel like Big 12 contenders historically have never really been able to compete with SEC or recently haven't been able to compete with SEC um, with SEC contenders. And I feel like if Oklahoma and Texas think that this is going to be better for their program, I really don't think it will be because they're just going to start – they're going to – I feel like they're going to lose recruits because, again, nobody wants to go to a team – that's going to lose to Georgia and Alabama every year and possibly LSU and everybody's just going to forget about them. I think that's very well said, um, right. What you just said, said there at the end, um, because it's true. It, it, they're not going to be able to out recruit Alabama. They're not going to be able to out recruit Texas A&M um, even. Right. I mean, Texas A&M who, who's Texas A&M. Oh yeah. They, they have like, I think the second or third best recruiting class coming in next year. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher is a great coach. He's getting there. He's getting the recruits ready. Like Texas A&M is going to be good. We just saw LSU hire, you know, Brian Kelly, he's good. Um, and so, and so, right. And so you're walking into the situation with so much talent and so much, you know, all already established greatness and i don't know how they're how they're really expecting to uh to to succeed in that type of environment the only reason that i can think of as to why they made the move is is really the money right at the end of the day like you're gonna be able to the sec has an entire network you know basically deal with espn there's an sec network right which shows games which has you know talk shows and people talk about it. and so obviously the schools in the sec are getting a share of that money that you know that, that, that the espn makes from that and whatever and so i think beyond just being able to you know semi-compete in the sec for the next however long i think I think the more like the bigger reason that they're that they're making this move is because they'll be able to generate a lot more money for their program. But it's, again, at the end of the day, like you can generate as much money as you want, but it like if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't equate to wins and and, and quality winning seasons where you're competing for national championships, you know, year in and year out then what's really the point, right? Like at the end of the day, Oklahoma has so much of a better chance of making the college football playoff if they just stay in the Big 12 and they win the Big 12 every year. They're going to the SEC. They're automatically going to be, you know, probably fifth or sixth in the conference in terms of recruiting ability. And, and, and then obviously, as we're seeing now, you know, with the, with the coaching change and everything like that, Lincoln Riley going to USC, and, and, and we'll talk about that. I think probably that's going to be our, our Saturday topic. Um Oklahoma's already lost, I think, three five-star and three four-star commits just from the 2023 class alone. And so it's like they're already going into next year significantly, you know, basically crippled, you know, in, in terms in comparison to what they were going to look like. And so it's like if you stay in the, you know, if you stay in the Big 12, you just have so much more opportunity to win. And and so, right, and I think Hayden made a good point is like, you know, there are teams in every conference that are kind of like pretty much always going to be bottom dwellers. Right. Um, but, but I think to a certain extent, like if you were to put, you know, Missouri or Vanderbilt, who are two of the worst teams in the sec, you put them in like the AAC, which is, you know, which is Cincinnati's conference. I think that, you know, if Cincinnati had to play Missouri and Vanderbilt back to back, like it would, they would be games. Right. But we always think about Missouri and Vanderbilt as like, Oh my God, their record is like two and 10. They're so bad. That's because they're playing Texas A&M and LSU and Mississippi state and all these great teams from the sec on a week to week basis. And now you're going to throw Texas and Oklahoma in there too. Like there, I don't, I don't really see them having a chance. And, and so, 
it's really a decision of like, okay, so I guess there really are just chasing the money. If you want to be gold diggers, gold diggers in college football, then, you know, go ahead and do it because obviously, right. It, it, the, the more money you have, maybe the more money that you'll be able to, to spend. And especially now with the NIL deals and stuff, you know, if you can, if you can sell a lot of the SEC recruits, you know, and say, Hey, come to Texas. We're, you know, we're the best brand in college football. You know, you'll, you'll be wearing the bright, you'll be wearing the burnt orange on the field and, and everything like that. Lynn, you know, okay, sure. That may, may be, conv- be able to convince some people, but like not, not enough to be, to be winning games out there. So, so again, and, and a lot of this has to do with now, especially when we have, you know, we have Oklahoma and LSU who, who have both fired their co or their, their coaches have, have both left at this point and, and LSU has kind of gotten, gotten a new coach already. Like there's a lot to be figured out. And I think we'll kind of go deeper into this on the, on the Saturday pod and able to, um, to kind of, to kind of theorize about what, what the future in the next couple couple years may look like once these new coaches are, are kind of brought in and start to at- establish their systems at these schools. Yes, sir. Great point. Alrighty. Moving on to NBA. We've got two topics as usual. And our first topic is about Zion Williamson. All right. And so he was cleared for cleared for full team activities on Friday, but he still hasn't really set like there's there still hasn't been a timeline that has been set for his return to actual play. And so he's been it's kind of weird because he's, he's been cleared by doctors to play, but he basically is choosing not to play and maybe is being advised by a couple doctors, you know, behind the scenes that he shouldn't that he shouldn't play just yet. And so we've seen him get injured in the past, too. And, you know, like when, when he's on the court. He's a huge factor to the Pelicans team. Like we, we, he's a generational talent. And so, yeah, in terms of, of athleticism, he's, he's a generational talent, but again, like he's getting hurt often and it's because of how much he weighs. Like basically his, his, his weight is way too big for his athleticism. Like he's, he's jumping out of his own body and that's not good for his body. And so he's getting hurt so often and i think that so like i'm i'm i've been comparing his weight to shaq's weight which is insane like shaquille o'neal was i think i think he was around like 320 320 pounds ish in his um you know in his prime in the nba and he kind of like fluctuated around that 320 330 zone i think but let's just say 320 Zion right now is 320. He's, I think he's listed at like 317, but let, that's 320. He's 320 pounds at six foot six. Like it, Shaq was seven foot two. Like that, that's not, and people are trying to say, okay, well you can be big and be on the NBA. Dude, no, like Zion Williamson is jumping from like the free throw line. Shaq could never even try to do that. Like dude, Shaq would, you know, I mean, he would post up people, but like, and he would, he was one of the most dominant, you know, physical, most dominant players physically to ever play. And so is Zion. But again, Zion's six foot six and has 320 pounds of man on him. Like he, there's, he, there's no reason why he should be, you know, and the fact that he still can jump as high as he can, the fact that he still can make the plays that he can is act like, it doesn't make sense to me. It literally like defies the laws of, I mean, maybe he just has like superhuman strength, but it literally like defies the law of the laws of physics and he still manages to have this kind of athleticism. He, he still manages to make these like crazy dunks and everything. And it's just, 
I don't know. It, it just puzzles me because it's just like, you know, he if he's getting hurt so often, like, I feel like he's just going to turn into one of these guys that, you know, gets hurt for half the season and then he comes back for half the season. And like the Pelicans aren't, I mean, if we're, if we're talking playoff contention, like they're not really playoff contenders really any year, but like, and especially this year, but like, you know, if, if there is a time where they need him for the playoffs, like what if, you know, in their last few games, he jumps out of his shoes again, like tears his ACL and then he's out for the, you know, he's out for the playoffs and they have no chance. It's kind of, you know, it, I, to me, it's it's really dangerous. And of course, injuries happen. But I think for Zion Williamson, it's it's a particular case. And I and it definitely you can definitely draw a line from his injury problems to his weight and to how he plays. I think really what this comes down to this whole topic is is kind of where he's at right now, how he was able to perform and, and kind of where his future lies. Last year, obviously, was his rookie season, and he played really well. I mean, he did he did everything. And so you had this weird kind of dynamic with the Pelicans team where there were so many young guys. I mean, Lonzo was still there. Um, you know, you had Brandon Ingram and, and, and Devontae Graham. And so there's all these young guys who were just kind of trying to figure out how to play. I mean, it literally was like Kentucky 2.0 in the NBA, um, you know, with, with, with all these rookies and young guys just kind of trying to figure things out. But, like, despite that, Zion still had a lot of, you know, really big plays. He would make some dunks. He would make – but it, I think in college he got a lot of publicity for the big plays and the dunks and everything like that. Whereas in the NBA, I think a lot of his production was really coming from just being a solid player around the rim, you know, putting up layups, you know, making, making you know, big plays when he, you know, when he could because obviously, you know, who, who doesn't want to do that? But – but right, he would he would get a lot of rebounds. I think his passing was honestly the best part of his game. Uh, you know, he provided a lot of opportunities for his teammates and and really just found them in the right places. And, and a lot of that is because obviously, as the you know physical beast and athletic specimen that he is, and and that Hayden kind of went over there, he draws a lot of attention no matter when or where he has the ball. And so, but but a lot of players like if you're that athletic you know, it takes a while to be able to learn, okay, I know that I'm going to draw attention. So I need to be able to find a way to pass it to my teammates to distribute the ball so that we can be successful, you know, as a team. And it's hard to do that, but he was able to figure it out pretty, pretty quickly. So I think that it, it kind of is a sad situation that, you know, if, 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 if as Hayden's kind of, you know, projecting here comes true in the sense that, you know, maybe he just ends up being an injury prone player who really isn't able to fully embody what he could be, you know, and, and, and really reach the potential that we saw in him for, you know, for his career in the NBA. And obviously, you know, no one's going to be LeBron playing, you know, at his peak, you know, in his 17th year, like that's, that's never going to happen, but, but we at least would have liked to see, you know, more than a year or I guess half a season because he, you know, he went down at the end of last season too, um, of production and, and being able to to really to to succeed in in kind of that that system. Um, in terms of because here's the other thing too, right? Is like at this point, I think in the, at this point in the season, I think they're not and kind of as Hayden mentioned before, you know, the cleared for full team activities, quote unquote. Um, they're not rushing him back at all. I mean, the Pelicans are awful this year. They're, I think they were expected to win, you know, f about 40 games. They're supposed to go like 40 and 40, about 500, um, which, you know, wouldn't make the playoffs in the West, but it's still, you know, it, it's pretty considerable. And they're on pace to, to finish like 20 games below that. I mean, they're on pace to literally finish like 20 and 60. So they clearly don't have that great of a team. And so I think because of that, 
as they know, you know, they want to keep Zion as, as one of their future stars and someone that they can build their franchise off of. And so clearly in any circumstance, like if your team isn't going to compete as Hayden was mentioned before, like they're not really, you know, they're not on an, on trying to make the playoffs on an every, every year type of basis right now. And so kind of, why would you risk bringing him back from injury too quickly? Or even if he's ready to come back now, why would you risk getting him getting injured again when there, there's really nothing that he's going to provide for your team that you would, that would be, you know, an, an entire step in the right direction in terms of actually being able to compete in the West, uh, you know, which is already loaded as we know. So it is a really interesting concept to kind of see where this is going to go. Um, and, and even if he's able to come back, I'll think, you know, he'll be able to come back this year at some point, but kind of, you know, if, if they're able to really kind of get a team together around him, that is built to, to his strengths. But I think again, like his strengths are really everything, right? I mean, he rebounds well, he assists well, he, he obviously scores well. So, um, so I think he's a really, really great player and, and beyond just the hype that he gets for being such an athletic freak, uh, you know, as Hayden was mentioning. And I think it is a good point, right? You know, maybe his weight could cause a problem in the future here and kind of get, um, you know, get into some, to some problems later on, you know, maybe re-injuring kind of the, 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 uh, the, the things he's already experienced and whatnot. So, so we will see uh, later, a little bit later down the road here, you know, kind of once he starts playing Um, the second topic uh, for the NBA section here, is the Suns. I mean, how are we not going to be talking about the Suns, bro? They have won 16 straight games and they're playing again tonight. So, you know, by the time you listen to this, they might have what they're playing the, uh, who who are they playing tonight? They are playing the, they're playing the Warriors tonight. What? Number one versus number two seed. And it's funny because that's honestly what the topic is about here too, Um, is, uh, is right. Is, is, is the one versus two seed tonight. Wow. That'll be an interesting game. So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously a lot of that will probably figure it out, you know, at this point, the the 16 game winning streak might be over. It might be 17. uh, And, and and then we'll, you know, we'll kind of find them at a tie, you know, on the top of the West here, but 16 straight wins for the Suns puts them second in the West and they're one game behind the Warriors. And I think that obviously we've talked a lot about how, you know, crazy the Warriors season is going right now. And the fact that they don't, as Hayden mentioned before, they don't even have Clay Thompson back yet. They don't even have James Wiseman back yet. They had the number two pick in the draft last year and he hasn't played a single second of basketball. And so, and there's some talk about, you know, whether he made maybe a, a, you know, not the right fit there or whatever, but still, I mean, these are two great players that are, are not even on the team yet. Not even, not haven't even played a second this, this, this whole season. And they're still, you know, they're 18 and two, they're number one in the West. And so it de- it'll definitely be a good, a good game tonight. You know, unfortunately we couldn't kind of go over this tomorrow, obviously once after the game is played. Um, and, and so, so I, the question really here is like, what's been more impressive so far, the Warriors being 18 and two or the Suns winning 16 games in a row? Yeah, so I, you know, I I think that in terms of and from an entertainment standpoint, you could say, okay, well, I'm somebody that watches the game and I'm somebody that want that wants to see Steph Curry shoot 50 million threes a game and make 30 million of them, you know? So it's just like you know, it's it's from from a spectator standpoint, I think it is more I think the Warriors have been more impressive in terms of like how they've won, but I do. I, I don't really think that it's sustainable. And, you know, like Curry, I don't know what I, I don't really know how to define a slump for Curry. You know, I think we've seen a couple times in the past and in, in past seasons where Curry has a really hot streak like he's been having. And then, you know, he kind of falls off a bit like every everybody 
is going to fall off a bit no matter what. In an 80-game or 82-game season. And so in terms of, you know, like sustainability throughout the rest of the season, I really do think that the way the Suns have been playing in these past 16 games that they've won, it's very – it's much more sustainable because you have more of a balance with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, you know, DeAndre Aiden. Like you have a balanced team. I'm not saying that the Warriors are completely one-dimensional, but I think that they're a lot more one-dimensional in the sense that like if Curry does go into a slump, we're probably going to see the Warriors fall off a little bit because without Curry – Let's be honest, the Warriors would not be in the in, in the position they're at right now. I don't think it would even really be close to, to the position that they're in right now. And so I do think that going forward, looking at, you know, from more of a, like a, you know, a, a broader scope, I think that the Suns definitely do have a better chance of sustaining this. And we, we saw this last season, right? We saw, you know, the Suns made it to the, to the finals. And so, like, again, they're in a position where hopefully that they can – sustain this type of success and, you know, bring this team together to possibly even win the finals this year, because recently it's been looking like they could. So the original question here, Hayden, you might not have heard me when I directly asked you uh, as, as we were talking to each other in a podcast was what's been more impressive so far. You indirectly answered this. I, I did answer it. I, I said, it's been more impressive to see the, the warriors. I said that okay. the, from a spectator standpoint, it's been more Okay. Well, yes, I would agree, obviously, and I think everyone else would too. But I think it's just interesting to kind of see both these teams have such great success, um, you know, at this up until this point in in the NBA season. Um, And especially after it was so funny, too, because the first podcast that we did, uh, you know, the kind of the big Bertha of episodes where we kind of went over all the sports and everything like that. One of the NBA topics was, you know, these teams who were really good last year, who made the playoffs and who really were kind of underperforming this year. And two of the teams that we mentioned were the Bucks and the Suns who who played in the NBA finals last year. Um, And and it's so funny because I think literally since then, I think the Suns were one in three when we made that podcast and we're talking about them and kind of like, oh, well, you know, are they going to be able to continue? Are they're going to regress, you know, based on their, based on their success last year. And I think literally since we made that podcast, which is now like a month ago, um, they've, they've won, they've won every single game, you know, and, and now yeah. they're obviously they're you know, the two seed in the West and they're three games out of third place. So, um, so yeah, so they've been really impressive. And I do agree with Hayden that the, right. That the, the, the sun's style of play is much more sustainable um, long-term because of the pieces that they have already established. And also the, the, the experience, the playoff experience that they, that they got from last year, um and and so and so right and so it'll be interesting but but obviously right i mean it's gonna be a big deal when when clay Clay thompson comes back because for what the warriors are already doing you know which is which is essentially just playing kind of the same stylistic offense that they that they have been that kind of they were able to to generate during the dynasty but they're playing scrappy defense they're they're getting after the ball they're going up for rebounds and i think that that's kind of a i mean that's a knock that you know a lot of people have in the nba they don't play defense they don't try the warriors are doing that and and you want to talk about a guy who plays hard on defense and scraps for the ball and goes up for rebounds and does all he can you know defending the ball one of the best defenders in the nba is Clay Thompson one of the best? You know, he, he's definitely one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. So it'll be really good. I think he fits comp- like perfectly into what they're already doing right now. And obviously, you know, is probably at this point going to be a hall of you know future Hall of Famer just coming back to the to the Warriors, joining back the Warriors again. So it'll be really cool to see as the season goes on, see how these teams progress. If the Warriors are able to, ha- like Hayden said, kind of 
kind of you know stifle their 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 insane run that they're on right now and uh and whether or not you know maybe these teams will face obviously they're playing tonight so we're going to see um like i said kind of regret not being able to to talk about the result of that um but but right we'll be able to see kind of based on tonight and then obviously later on in the season if if they you know if they're still if they're still going crazy then uh then it'll it'll be really good i think to kind of see as a maybe as a as a playoff um a uh, you know a playoff matchup later here down the road um time to switch to the nhl hayden take it away all righty so we this is a little bit late you know we're we're a good bit into the season but we received some feedback from from some from some listeners and they wanted to hear about the Kraken. And so this first NHL topic is going to be about the Kraken, basically just kind of, you know, who are they? What's the state of the team and kind of just an overall talk about what's, what's the process for adding a new franchise into a major sports league? Because if you think about it, like it's, you know, it happens kind of often and we've seen it within the past, we've seen two teams be added to the NHL within the past three years. We got the Golden Knights in, in 20, well, they I think the I, I think they were kind of like the idea was instated in 2016 or it was proposed in 2016 or something. But then I think they were actually the first season that they actually played was the 2017 and the 2018 season. And so they were back in 2018. And then of course this year we get the Kraken. And so two new teams in the span of three years in the NHL. And it's just like, you know, I feel it seems like it may be a little bit easy, but if you really think about it, it's, it's not easy. You got to fill a whole nother roster of, of players, whatever. So, right. The Kraken right now, if you, you know, if you've followed NHL at all this season, like they're, they're just not doing it. Like they're not doing well. And I hate to compare them to the golden Knights, but we saw the goal. I mean, the golden Knights made it to the Stanley cup playoff. I mean, to the Stanley cup finals, in their first season, like their first season as a team, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. They got beat by the Capitals in 2018. But again, like they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, which is great for a new franchise. Like that is that is exactly what you want because again, it gets your name out there. You know, it it gets you. It it means that you did something right, right? But like the Kraken this year, it, it they it's looking like they did something wrong. And their GM actually came out and said, I don't know when this was, but he. It, it, it was definitely recently. I don't know what day it was, whatever, but their, their GM Ron Francis actually came out and said that he had a couple quotes and then I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of going to uh, peruse my way through them. But the main thing that he said is that the Kraken have quote found a way to lose. And so basically what he's saying is like, they've, they've found a way to lose games that they should have won, or they've, they're basically doing things to hurt themselves instead of getting beat by other teams. So that's what I take it as. I don't know if Matt has another inter- interpretation of, of it, but that's that's what I take it as. And I mean, I think it's true. One thing that I want to add really quick before I let Matt talk, but one thing that I want to add is their starting goalie for, I, th- I think every game, but one game of the season, their starting goalie, Philip Grubauer, he came from the Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche last year, and he was actually he was actually a finalist for the the Vezina Trophy, which is if you don't know what the the Vezina Trophy is, I didn't really know what it was until recently when I read up on it. But 
if you don't know what it is, it's it's basically a trophy for the for the best goalies in all of, of the, in all of NHL. And so he was a finalist for the the Vezina Trophy, and this year he's been like so bad for the for the for, for the crack. I mean, he's he's been letting up goals left and right. I think the just to throw a statistic at you real quick, the Kraken have an average goals goals allowed average their goals allowed average in each game this season has been 3.67, which is like so terrible. It's 31st in the NHL and it's so bad. And so like, I mean, obviously that's a combination of defense and goalie because defense still matters. Yes. There's defense in, in hockey, but like when it comes down to it, goalie play, I feel like is the, is most influential on that. And, you know, we had a guy that was a finalist for being one of the best, goalies in, in all of NHL last year. And this year he's just doing, you know, crappy for, for the new team. Yeah. I think that's exactly what is it, what it is. It's just a bunch of guys who are playing together for the first time on a team that's brand new in a city that's never had a hockey team before, uh, you know, in a brand new stadium, it's new, it's new fans, it's new jerseys, it's new everything. And so you can't expect a team to perform so well right away. Um, I don't exactly remember Hayden was talking about the Golden Knights. I don't exactly remember how, how well they were doing kind of this far into their inaugural season, in the NHL, but obviously, as we mentioned, they got to the Stanley cup final. And at this point, I'm starting to think that for most te- again, I've only really, you know, been following hockey for these two kind of, uh, you know, franchises being added to the league, but I can only imagine that for the most part, the new teams that are being added, you know, on a, on a year to year basis, whenever they kind of are struggle immensely, because like I said, like I just said, like you have to develop a lot of team chemistry playing together, you know, being the, the coach, like the coaching system in, in hockey is actually really intense. And like, you know, a, co- a coach has a lot to do in terms of like your success because they're managing the lines who's playing together. I mean, it's, it's really about team chemistry. And so when you don't have a lot of time to get into all that with your players, then you can't expect them to be successful right away. And so I do think that kind of, you know, as we go along here, it's going to be really like it's going to be historical, I think, what the Vegas Golden Knights were able to do in such a short amount of time and, and really getting, uh, you know, kind of getting their team across the line and, and doing so well in their inaugural season. Um, and so now kind of the question is, well, why were the why were the Knights able to do so well and the Kraken aren't and kind of these other teams like what's the process for it? So I looked into this for you guys. All right. So what happens is essentially and i'm probably gonna explain it wrong because it was even confusing when i was reading it the the new team the new franchise that's being added to the league gets to pick a one player from each team the the confusing part is like how good they can be what certain teams you can get you know certain positions from and so i'm thinking that it because again i mean it's all written out in the bylaws but i didn't have time to read a 40-page document about the nlt nhl team creation um but at the end of the day here, it's, it's essentially like you're, it, it, I think is, is almost random and which is how it should be, I think, because right. You know, you don't want your team, the new franchise to be so good, but you don't want them to be terrible. You want to give them a chance, but at the same time, you know, right. Like I think th- there might've been something that went wrong in the terms of like what the Knights were able to, the, 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 you know, the players that they were able to get. And obviously we saw that, you know, having Matt Murray as their goalie kind of back then, or uh, sorry, Mark Andre Fleury after he left the Penguins, like he'd won a couple of rings with the Penguins, you know, and then he comes over to the Golden Knights and oh, he's just back at, you know, so it's like, he was really successful. I think that, that helped their team a lot too. Um, but, but it, I think that's kind of the, the, the question here is like, 
it's probably a different kind of situation and circumstance for each time that a, that a new team is added. And so there's a lot of randomization and there's a lot of like different things that can happen. But I think that at the end of the day, like we're kind of seeing that it, it doesn't all gel right away. And so there, you can't really expect them to have a lot of success right off the bat. Um, and they're not, but you know, it's, again, it's, it's, they're a new team. It's exciting. I think it's the, the uniforms are awesome, by the way. I mean, we should yeah. have started with that, the logo and the, and the Jersey colors and everything like it's, it's super cool. So definitely an awesome, some team um and you know and they're kind of just finding their way here uh but uh but i and I, the, the thing is though like they're definitely not as bad as the worst teams in the nhl right i mean like they're doing better than the ducks and the savers and so it's like they're, they're still kind of out here you know do, doing the best they can and, and still performing better than than the other teams who had obviously a kind of all off season with their coach and everything like that so um so so yeah so there's there's your crack and talk hopefully Hopefully it was good. Hopefully we covered enough and, and we're able to, to, to satisfy your needs uh, with that one. Alrighty, moving on to our second NHL topic of the day and our kind of last topic of, of the main section, the main section here. <clears throat> Whoa, my voice. So with a hat trick the other night, including two goals in one minute, Alex Ovechkin, yes, the man, the myth, legend of NHL, he is now on pace to have the best season of his career, which is crazy because he's been, in, I don't know how long, long exactly he's been in the NHL, but it's been over 10 years. And basically, yeah, he's, he's on track to have the best season of his career. And even if he doesn't reach Wayne, Gretz, Wayne Gretzky's records, we're asking, should he be considered as the best hockey player ever? Now, you know, I, I've promised myself to never have this talk on this podcast and I don't think I've ever brought this up to Matt but I've I've made this promise to myself and that that is to never talk about the conversation of LeBron James and Michael Jordan being the goat because it's been talked about everywhere and there's never consensus and I just hate talking about it now I I'm going to compare this situation to the LeBron MJ situation because it's kind of similar in that Wayne Gretzky has four Stanley Cup titles and Alex Ovechkin only has one. And that one was was back in 2018 when the Capitals beat the Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup finals. And so, right, MJ has more titles than LeBron does. And and it's the same thing with Wayne Gretzky. He has more titles. He has more. Um, he has more goals by it's pro- I think the the goal margin right now is like and it's in the one fifties. I think it's like 158 or something. I don't know. I looked it up earlier today and I can't really remember off the top of my head, but yeah, the goal margin right now between the two is I think 158 goals that Wayne Gretzky has scored more. And Wayne Gretzky also right now, as of now has played like 270 more games than, than Alex Ovechkin. And so it's basically like, and their their average goals per game up until this point, I think for Ovechkin, it's 0.61 goals per game, like across his career and and all the games that he's played. And for Wayne Gretzky, it was 0.60. It's it may be flip flopped, but it, those are the two numbers. So it's it's basically equal. I mean, it's it's in, it's within a hundredth of a goal. And so, right, their average goals they're basically at the same rate. And so, over the next five seasons I, I saw that over the next five seasons Ovechkin has to score an average of like 33 
goals per season in order to tie Wayne Gretzky. And so, and I mean, he's basically like, I think he's at like 16 this season already, which is crazy. And so he's on pace to like get basically like half of those goals this season alone. And so, I mean, yeah, he's, he's on pace to, to break the record is a lot sooner than people thought. And so I think that if he does do that, like if, if he does, you know, if he scores these 150 goals in the next 200 games say, which, you know, may not happen, but if he, if he does this like a full season before Wayne Gretzky did like, dude, that's really impressive. Like that. If, if you, if you score that many goals, you know, and you, you did it in a whole one, like a whole less season than, than Wayne Gretzky did it. That's really impressive. And I think at that point, then you really have to call him the greatest, the greatest hockey player of all time. Now, right now, obviously he's still playing and, you know, it was two different eras, but, and Wayne Gretzky was so dominant. He's the only, the NHL retired his number, like no, no player on any team. Like we see teams retired numbers. Like, dude, the number 99 is retired from the whole NHL. Like nobody in the NHL can wear the number 99, which I think is kind of funny, but that's just how dominant Wayne Gretzky was. And again, like, you know, I feel like Alex Ovechkin has, is just, he's kind of gotten the shaft with, you know, that teams that he's played with, but again, like he's played, you know, he's played out of his mind this season. And I think it is, I think it is worthwhile looking into this, you know, goat talk with Alex Ovechkin because in in the coming, you know, in the coming seasons, like soon enough, he, he may, he may well be at the top of that discussion. It is crazy to hear that, yeah, the entire, the sport retired, <laughs> retired his jersey. I mean, that's, that's insane. And so I think that really speaks to the point here is like, once Wayne, Wayne Gretzky retired, it, it was, it, there was no competition. I mean, everyone was like, he's the clear goat. And I think he, he probably still will be as I, as I go here along here a little further in my argument, but the, because he was able to, <laughs> Got a little uh, trying to think of my thoughts here a little bit. I'm just so excited talking about Wayne Gretzky and Alex yeah. Okay, so um, yeah. So as he went along here, that the reason that the NHL was you know retired his number was because they were like nobody is ever going to achieve the records and the numbers and the titles and everything that he put up. They were like it is physically impossible to do this. I, I mean, it, it's essentially as if like Tom Brady was to win like another two Super Bowls before he retired, it would be like oh my god, we need to re- retire the number twelve in the NFL. Like they would probably do that. Yeah. That's what we were dealing with with Wayne Gretzky, and I think that we weren't able really. I mean, not. Not a lot of us were, I mean, me and Hayden at least weren't really alive to kind of see his greatness and all that he was able to do. And so we kind of think of him as like this mythical figure of like, wow, okay, he was really good at hockey. But like, it, it, it's it's like for all that he did, clearly nobody thought that he would ever be caught with all of his records and everything that he's done. And like, here comes Alex Govexian just still playing. And so I think that the other thing that, you know, kind of Hayden said that he gets, he gets, he's been shafted by the team that he's on. He's kind of not really thought of in that context. Another thing is that I think people just assume that he's a lot older than he is, or at least have assumed that he's going to retire a lot earlier than he plans to. Um, and I think that, you know, he's a really fiery guy. He's a really competitive guy. And so deep down, he's probably like, dude, like, screw you guys. I'm going to play as long as I can. I'm going to break these records. And so all the power to him for doing that. I, I totally, I would do the same thing if I was in his position. Um, and so I think that, right. It's just, there's, there's kind of a lot of factors at play here where, you know, it's essentially like everyone of, of power in the NHL um, has essentially just 
automatically assume that Wayne Gretzky's the best ever. Nobody's ever going to catch him. And, and that's it. Right. Now we kind of just have this guy who just keeps trucking along. And, and, and the fact that, I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like, and this is, I think kind of the cool thing about hockey too, is like these, these stats and these records that happen. Like we talk about Steph Curry having a better year this year than he ever has before. And you're like, Oh my God, like what Steph Curry, like he, he was been so good. He won three rings. He's was the best player on the best team for five straight years. Like, and, and now, right, you know, always oh, doing better. But it's like, dude, this guy, Alex Ovechkin, who's way older than Steph Curry, has been playing in the NHL way longer than Steph Curry's been playing in the NBA, is doing the same stuff in terms of having a better year, statistically, numbers and whatever, than he ever has before. And so he definitely deserves credit for that. Let's switch to the side of the argument where we're talking about the best hockey player ever. I don't, I don't think that he will ever be considered as the best hockey player ever simply because his teams just didn't win enough. Right. And as Hayden mentioned, we're not going to do the LeBron and Michael Jordan talk on here because yeah, he's, he's right. It just, you're, nobody's ever going to agree, but there is a very, I think, solid case for the fact that in the NHL championships do, I think, matter. I I wouldn't say more, but they're, they're, I think, highly regarded, especially because of the history with the Stanley Cup and everything like that. And, and, and I'm really, really happy that the, that the Capitals did get that one championship, um, you know, back in, back in 2018, uh, because they definitely deserved it. And, and obviously, you know, after winning the President's Cup, which the President's Cup is, is winning, having, accruing the most points over the course of a season. And obviously the points break down in hockey. Let me just give it all to you right now. A win is worth three points. Uh, and an overtime loss is worth one point. Uh, and so if you, if you get the most points across the entire NHL season, you win what's called the President's Cup. And it's just kind of, you know, awarding the best team in the NHL. There was a streak of, I think, maybe three or four years back in like, I think it was, you know, two or three years before they even won the championship where they were winning the President's Cup every single year and they get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this team is so good. They have the best player in hockey and Alex Ovechkin and they just can't get over the hump. They can't win a playoff series. Uh, and so they were finally able to do that. I'm really glad that they did. And, and so now maybe, you know, depending on how long Alex Ovechkin plays, like if he really, really surpasses Wayne Gretzky's numbers, then maybe he will have a case, right, to be kind of considered the best ever because you at least have that one championship to go back on and just kind of say, okay, you know, this, this is worth it, right? We always talk about that in the NFL with the, with the Hall of Fame, like, okay, well, you know, this guy's put up the, the you know, historic numbers, but he can't win, you know, when it, when it actually matters. And I think a good, an interesting case that we're going to kind of find out here pretty soon, crowbar in a little NFL talk here is, is Matthew Stafford, who, if you want to hear a crazy stat, is nine and 67 against teams with a winning record in his NFL career. That is disgusting. How are you not? And again, he was in the lions for all those times. I get it, but I think he's had like more 5,000 yard passing seasons than anyone else in the NFL, you know, NFL history. He's probably going to go down as one of the leading passing or pass yards, you know, across an entire you know career. His numbers are going to speak for themselves. He's going to be like top five in every passing statistical category you know, in, in NFL history. And it's like, well, okay, sure. Yeah. So yeah, he should definitely be in the hall of fame. Well, he absolutely has not been able to, you know, to, to win when it counts. So that's kind of, you know, kind of to go back to the Alex Ovechkin here thing too, is like, he at least got the championship out of the way. He won the championship. He has the Stanley cup. Uh, and, and then right. And then as of right now, it's kind of just, he's just going to keep racking up goals and assists and, and his numbers are going to keep climbing up there. So at the end of the day, I don't think that he'll be able to really surpass Wayne Gretzky as the greatest to ever do it. But at the same time, 
he might, I think, you know, kind of get to the point where if he does end up breaking these records, the NHL is going to have to consider to retire his jersey, which, you know, because, right, if they did that for Wayne Gretzky and then all of Wayne Gretzky's records are broken by this other guy, like, you have to respect that guy for doing it. So he may not be the best hockey player ever, but will at least, I think, eventually, hopefully get the credit that he deserves. Yeah, they're going to have to retire number eight, too. Number eight, number 99. That's right. If, if, if you wear that number in college hockey, sorry, dog. <laughs> Not going to be able to wear that in the NHL. But, um, yeah, so that, that, that um, concludes our main segment here, main content segment. But as you guys know, we've we, – we Oh, they know. Oh, they know. We oh, can't, they know. We can't leave, and you see, I remember this time. I didn't, end, I didn't end, start ending see? the show. You know, I remember hating those guys. Come on, now. yeah, come on, them? yeah. If I remember, you gotta remember. So, like we always do, Matt's gonna come out with his, his, his hammer of the week, and then I'm gonna give you guys your waiver claim of the week. So, go ahead, Matt. All right, lock of the week. Here it comes. Accountability time. We lost last week too. Okay, so we started out 0-2. We got a win. Then we then we lost again. I don't know what I'm doing. You you, you got you guys need to give me you guys you guys need to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Okay, and, and yeah. I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm betting I'm betting on the Mountain West. What am I doing? Hawaii and Wyoming? Come on now, get yourself together. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go back to basics again. There's only 10 college football games this this Saturday, right? So you can't really fade bad teams. What we're gonna do though is that we're gonna bet on the most consistent you know, conference championship, basically, you know, trend that you can, which is the Pac-12 destroying itself and always beating up on the other teams that are playing in it. I mentioned this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we, when we were talking about college football and everything and having to do with Oregon and Utah, Oregon and Utah played two weeks ago. Utah beat the crap out of Oregon. I said it was going to happen. I said it was going to happen. And here we go again. Who's playing this week in the Pac-12 championship on Friday night? Oregon and Utah. And you know who's getting points again? It's Oregon. But who already won the last time they played? Utah. They crushed them. It's only right. They're playing in Vegas. They're playing in the Death Star, which is the Raiders' new stadium. It is going to be a great game. I'm going to very much enjoy watching this game. Uh, But at the end of the day, we're betting on Oregon because, again, it's craziness. It's, 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 it's always like this in the Pac-12. They, they, they beat up in, on each other. You know, whoever you think is going to win, win the game, doesn't end up actually winning the game. So we're going to do this week, okay? We're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to take the points. Two and a half, Oregon Ducks. <laughs> All right, I, I like that bet. And Matt, Matt stayed consistent with his, with his prediction of, uh, that they will go one and one this season. So... With that being said, we're going to go into a little fantasy waiver wire action. And my last, my last, or la- last time I did this, I picked Mac Jones as the fantasy waiver. No, I, no, actually, it was two times ago. Last time I picked, last time was kind of, eh, because, um, because Michael Carter went down and I just told you guys to pick up Tevin Coleman. Or no, I told you guys to pick up Ty Johnson, I think, or both of them. But, the Mac Jones thing wasn't too good. I think he got like 10 points the week that the week that I told you guys to start him. And so, yeah, that wasn't too good, but, <laughs> and I actually started him and he got 10 points for me. So I screwed myself there, but yeah. So this, this week, all right, we had Dalvin cook go down last this past week in, in, in the Vikings game. And so we know that Alexander Madison is great and he looks just like Dalvin cook. You can't tell him apart on the field. But he look, but he looks the part, and he plays the part too. Alexander Madison, he's, he's a great running back. But as we said earlier, early on the show, you can't, you can't really have 
a one-dimensional backfield. You got to have a backup. And we know that those third down backs and those, those filler guys are really important to a team. So who am I going to go with? I'm going to go with that second back in Minnesota. And it's going to be Kenny. I, I, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to screw up this name. Kenny and, and Wang Wu. Okay. He's, <laughs> and I, my, my boy AZ, he was, he was high on him this week. I, I talked to him yesterday and he was, he was telling me that he's, he's pretty high on Kenny and Wang, and, and Wang Wu this week. And so I'm, I'm saying that, you know, Madison, again, he's the top back. He's the lead back in this Minnesota offense this, this coming week. But I do think that if you, if you're really in need of that running back, go out and get my boy, Kenny, I'm going to call him Kenny because I can't say his last name without stumbling. So go out, go out and get Kenny. And I promise you he'll do you some good. Okay. Maybe he'll throw a touchdown in there, but he'll probably, I'm, I'm thinking that he'll probably get some, some catches here and there because most backup running backs get more catches than, than um, carries. And so, right. If you're playing PPR, it's a great way to go. All right. So Kenny and, and, and Wong Wu. All right. Remember the name, go out and get him on, on waiver wires, but yeah, that concludes the entirety of our show. I hope you guys enjoyed our, our last little segment there. It always gets really exciting at the end. I don't know how many people really listen to this part of the podcast, but if you do, <laughs> then uh, there you go. You get, you get, you're losing money and losing in fantasy, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah, thank you guys for listening. As always, we are going to come out most likely on Saturday with the college football coaching carousel, kind of going over the, what we hinted to earlier with everything that's happened this past week. And I think that we might be having AZ on that show. I, I don't know for sure, but hopefully we can get AZ on that show. That would be great because be another voice on here and we would have we'd have three people so um yeah I'm, I'm actually really pumped for that if not it'll just be me and matt as usual but yeah hopefully az can make it on and and you guys will be able to see what's up with, with him once again after after a little bit of time so yeah thank you guys for watching and we will catch you i mean thank you guys for listening and we will catch you guys next time